and welcome back to They Made Another One, where each week we study an often forgotten installment in a franchise and see how it holds up all on its own. I'm one of your hosts, Corey. And I'm your other host, Liam. And, you know, we're hitting a milestone this week. Put in real air horns. This is episode 50, and we want to point that out because it's insane that we've made it to episode 50, and I feel like a lot of podcasts don't make it to episode 50. And we're looking forward to doing all the episodes that come after episode 50. I don't want to make this a big song and dance because we also have a one year anniversary coming up. And I think that's when we want to make a big, a big deal about everything and do our dramatic clip show retrospective, very special episode. But uh, yeah, man, Liam, 50 episodes, huh? It doesn't feel like it, dude. Like I still feel super green. If I were to add up all the time I've done this, you know, I guess if we were to roughly times that by two about a hundred hours in front of the mic it doesn't feel that way at all i I thought that i would be way better at it at this point and and maybe i am i haven't listened to that first episode since we did it but i I feel like uh i feel like we're only gonna get much better you know yeah i i think i think even just recording week to week i think we probably have more presence like we're probably more confident even if we don't really notice just because we're more comfortable like sitting with the mics and doing it but I know what you mean that I'm almost terrified to go back and actually listen to what we were doing like almost a year ago, just because what if it's not good? Um, that's not to say that people shouldn't go back and listen to the back catalog because you should do that. Um, you be the judge. But yeah, man, it doesn't really feel like a year. And I, I think I like that. And I kind of like that we're s- still sort of feeling green because it does mean we have room to grow. Um you know, Discord's still chewing up some of our dialogue here. We still feel a bit rough and tumble, which I think is probably good. I think that if we got too, like, comfortable and in a groove, that maybe, like, it would stagnate a bit and we wouldn't enjoy it as much. But, like, we're we're doing stuff to try to make it interesting for ourselves, too. Um, like, having guests on and trying new stuff. Last week, we did it live, which we had never done, and I don't know if we'll do again. But, you know, we're we're trying things, which I think is really cool. Totally. Yeah. And a year in the grand scheme of things, it's not that long. You know, I'm, I'm super proud that we've made it this far. But uh, podcasts I like, you know, that have been going on for 10 years, five years. If, if I go back and listen to an episode from the first year or, or a bit after the first two years, you know, I can tell that it's an episode from then. And so 100 hours, you know, I, I spent 100 hours skateboarding and I still couldn't do an ollie. You know, like it, this stuff really, really does take a long, long time. And so once we've put in thousands of hours, maybe we'll really feel like experts. But uh, yeah, right now, who's the guy that wrote the book? Who wrote the 10,000 hour book? You're an expert after 10,000 hours. Who did that? Uh, Mark Gladwell, the podcast man. No, this isn't podcast specific. It's like there's some fucking adage that probably isn't true. It's like if you do something for 10,000 hours, you can call yourself an expert at it. That um, probably isn't true. We're and, just, and if that's true, we, ha- we have a lot right of podcasts here. left to do before we become experts. Yeah, dude. Thousand episodes. I mean, I know a couple podcasts that have made it to thousand episodes. I reckon we can do it. And it's easier because we're friends. You know, I think that's why we're able to get to episode 50. And it seems so seamless is we've been friends for a lot more than just one year. And right. so one year is sort of just a drop in the bucket. And so it kind of just it goes by real quick. And I don't really see any end in sight because it's just so easy to get on every week and talk to you and yeah. and then uh, wait all, until next week. All those other podcasts failed because they made the mistake of making their co-host an enemy of theirs. 
Yeah, the which trick makes is to for be really, really interesting radio, but you don't get a whole lot out of it. Maybe that's why Visitations only has 10 episodes or so. They actually hate each other. <laughs> they just like, they're just viciously not friends. <laughs> yeah, like we, we didn't get that many Oasis albums, but the Oasis albums we have are... <laughs> Well, I'll leave that for Dude, you guys. Dude, now decide, I'm trying to think, say. like, I'm picturing a podcast now where it's two people that hate each other and then a guest as, like, a mediator. <laughs> and every week there's someone new there who's trying to, like, reconcile this relationship between the co-hosts. Yeah, yeah, but, like, that that can't be the focus of the podcast, right? Like, they're actually, like, trying there to, There has like, to be talk a topic like, a and they just fucking every week. can't do it. <laughs> Yeah, and it just becomes clear after a while that they really don't like each other, you know. Oh. But the art that they make is good. The discussions they have are good. Dude, that's such a good idea. God, untapped potential, man. Um, we speaking... need to become the oasis of podcasting. Yeah, which one? Who's who? Well, I guess I would be Liam. That's because, a close-minded um, take. You got to think about I mean... this. Of course, your name is Liam, but like, you know, does well, anything about he's... Noel really grab you? <laughs> Well, I think Liam is less of a dick, and so maybe I would just take that one because <laughs> it would make me feel less bad in this hypothetical scenario. Yeah, you know, I feel like now we're we're entering a bit of a minefield because I don't know very much about the actual Gallagher boys, aside from them being famous for not liking each other, um, and, like, music. So maybe I don't want to tie my, my boat here too strongly to... Uh, to Noel Gallagher just in case he sucks any more than two brothers that argue in public for years and years despite being rich and famous already do. Speaking of ideas that maybe have a lot of potential and then some stuff happens. <laughs> um, 50 episodes in and Corey is still attached to the Segway thing. Something's <laughs> never changed. Dude, Segways are... Look, we invented Segways for a reason. And speaking of inventing, and speaking of inventing segues, things, someone for a invented reason, this movie. Someone did invent this movie. That person, Eli Roth, ladies and gentlemen, he's back. He's back, and this time we're doing one of his movies on a real episode, and not a recap episode. Um, oh yeah, yeah. So that's a first. Um, I don't know how many more Eli Roth movies we have the potential to do in the future. Hostile uh, two. Hostile two, I guess. Um, I don't, maybe, maybe we'll have to take a bit of a breather from Eli Roth before we do Hostel 2. I'm just going to put that out there. Um, oh, and also Death Wish starring Bruce Willis. Oh yeah. He did remake Death Wish, huh? We got a God. lot of Eli Roth to come, man. What, do we, do we have to? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well this week we watched Knock Knock. Um, and a lot of people might be sitting at home scratching their heads wondering, why the fuck does this count for the podcast? I've never heard of Knock Knock. And to be completely honest with you, the reason that this counts for the podcast is twofold. One, it is a remake of the 1977 film Death Game, which is directed by Peter S. Trainer. More importantly, uh, we had episode 50 plans fall through pretty close to the last minute, just in terms of scheduling, where we had a guest and we were branching out into a whole new visual medium. Uh, and we'll have to get to that later. But when we were trying to decide what do we want to do for episode 50 to sort of, you know, hit the milestone, hit the ground running. Uh, this is a movie that's got lore for Liam anyway, on a personal level. And it's something I've heard about from him and our friends um, as something that really needs to be seen. So he said, fuck it. Let's do knock knock. Liam, do you want to talk a bit about that? <laughs> yeah. So knock knock was huge for me in my freshman year of university. 
it was a movie that I was super excited for because I was the Eli Roth dude. Cabin Fever um, is my jam. And I love watching interviews with him. I just think he's a fascinating figure. And I'm going to be excited for every one of his movies, even if I don't actually like them all that much. And so Knock Knock came out right around the time that another film of his came out, a cannibal horror movie called The Green Inferno. And that movie had been in development for years and years. And I, I was waiting for it and it wasn't coming out. And as I was waiting for it, Knock Knock was announced and it just dropped right after The Green Inferno. I think I had just seen The Green Inferno in the theater in my freshman year when Knock Knock dropped. So it was just, it was a super Eli Roth year. It was really my coming of age. I was just, I was in a new city. I was in a dorm and this dude's movies were just guiding me through that year. And so I went to see Green Inferno with my roommate and we absolutely had a blast. And then Knock Knock dropped and it was, the premise was totally my bag, dude. It's home invasion. It takes place in one house. It's like, there's rain, there's Keanu Reeves, Eli Roth. I was just super, super into it. And so I checked it out right when it became available um, on streaming, watched it in my dorm room. And it was, it was a... Uh, kind of a life-changing experience honestly and I, I don't say that lightly I mean because since I saw that movie it's been a staple in my life and it feels like cabin fever to me now where it feels like it's a movie that I've had all my life and I can't really it's strange for me to think that only six years ago I had never seen this movie because now I've seen it so many times I've shown it to so many people um, I'm so, so familiar with it. You know, I, di I didn't even, I don't even think I had to watch it again in order to talk about it on this podcast because I've just, I'm so familiar with the beats. Um, it's a pretty easy movie to get in your head as well. You know, like once you see it, I think one or two times, you've kind of got it down. Um, and so it's, it's just been I huge say, for me it's the last not few very years. very complicated. <laughs> Yeah, no, not at all. Not at all. Uh, Corey, when you looked up the plot summary right before we started recording, did you forget anything is what I'm curious about. Um, No, and I did that more just in case because uh, I uh, I had said it to you. Um, I guess I'll elaborate a bit why. So earlier on in the show, I took really, really litigious notes. Um, and it got to a point where I felt like I was taking too many notes. So sometimes when we go to watch a movie, especially if it's one that has like anticipation behind it like this one does, I'll try to take fewer so I feel like I'm focusing. It seems a bit paradoxical because you think, you know, you're focusing if you're taking notes. But I found that sometimes I was getting bogged down and writing stuff down to the point where I wasn't watching as closely. So this is one of the ones where I wasn't going to take as many notes. Um, partway through, I started taking notes on my phone. Uh, so that idea didn't last. But um, I just popped it back open to see if there was anything I wanted to cover that I maybe didn't have a note for. And uh, the answer is no. Got you. Yeah, I'm, ju I'm just curious because even though it is very simple, you know, two women show up at this dude's house late one night and they stick around and they kind of terrorize him. There's there's a point halfway through this movie where uh, the main character tr gets free from the women. He drops them off. And every time that happens, I, I always think, how do we get back into the movie at this point? And so even though I have seen it a whole lot and the scenes do stick in my head, I think it's a really, really nicely paced movie. And I think a lot happens within this simple premise. And so I was just curious if any of those uh, big beats, you know, these things that happen between these three characters in the house kind of got lost to your memory and you said, oh, yeah, that happened. Yeah. 
there might maybe stuff's gonna come up as we talk about it i don't think that's really what i was personally worried about um and just really quick yeah liam kind of explained it but so we have evan weber in this movie who's played by keanu reeves um this is my second keanu reeves movie in a row actually i just finished watching my own private idaho and now i'm like back on the keanu train very different movies <laughs> and um he's this dad and his uh, his wife karen is played by ignacia alamond and she's an artist who has a big gallery show coming up and they've got all these sculptures and stuff everywhere they live in this big house with pictures of themselves just all over it just everywhere family pictures just plastered from floor to ceiling and um two kids jake and lisa they got a dog named monkey and it's father's day so they're like celebrating and they were going to go to the beach for the weekend. It sounds like they got like a beach house or maybe they rented one. But dad's got to stay home and work. Wah, wah. And uh, so, yeah, he's at home uh, with his elaborate DJ equipment and his, uh, I don't know, like, um, what's that software that people use in engineering school? Like AutoCAD. Maybe that's what he's using. I don't know what architects use. Um, and, yeah, it's pouring ass rain out. And uh, we have Belle and Genesis, who are played by Ana de Armas and Lorenza Izzo at the door. And they are allegedly uh, some people who got lost on their way to a party. Um, and then they become allegedly a lot of other things. And uh, yeah, they stick around, uh, but not before, spoiler alert, eventually coercing him into having really rowdy sex. Um, and then sort of flipping that on him in a way that is them trying to prove a point about men, I guess, men and sexuality. Um, and how men are just too horny for their own good. Uh, and we'll get into all of that. Um, and I feel like I've maybe shown my hand slightly as I got less and less interested in that plot summary as I described it to you. <laughs> Someone who has seen the movie several dozen times. That's maybe a bit of an exaggeration, but... Yeah, that's the movie. And the whole sort of crux of it is this... Um, this three-way no i shouldn't well i mean yes the whole crux of it is a three-way that's not an a factually inaccurate statement but what i mean to say is it's these two women and him and they're sort of like fucking i don't know what word i want to use to describe it their encounter i don't know that's, I don't know what you're getting at, man. No, like, it's just about them in the fucking house, and, like, they're in the house and shit's happening. I just couldn't think of a word. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Can't argue with that. I can't say this isn't a movie. <laughs> it's back for the 50th episode. My catchphrase Ep- is returned. Episode over. <laughs> um, So, Liam... Do you want to talk a bit about what it is in this movie that like really gets you or like what's made you latch onto it? Because yeah. um, I'm going to show my hand a little bit more. I don't understand. <laughs> wow, man. Bummer. All right. Well, well, what I loved about this movie the first time around is that it is just this schlocky, cheesy, uh, ridiculous performance piece. Kind of like the Wicker Man, the the remake of the Wicker Man, where it mm-hmm. feels like it's recalling movies from previous eras, um, and Keanu Reeves is just like screaming about free pizza 
and uh, there's like a characters that show up and then quickly get offed and um, and it's such a performance piece where it's just three characters in a house and so it felt like a very classic movie um, and I just I really I was so inter- entertained seeing where it was going to go from moment to moment and and I like all the characters um, oh I like all the actors I should say I don't like all the characters <laughs> I wouldn't want to be friends with them and so it was really easy to just to, to get my interest that first time around. I watched it with a friend, and by the time Keanu is uh, is screaming about how they're they're gonna kill him because they're breaking his eardrums and and you uh, sucked my cock and <laughs> you seduced me. And so we were just fuck. laughing so hard, but it but it come out right out of the gate, dude. Keanu Reeves when his family comes in and uh, they have this chocolate cake, and he's and he's speaking in this dumb voice calling himself monster and and he wants to have sex with his wife it's just like it is so ridiculous so yeah the first time i watched this movie i was absolutely laughing at it and i think you're supposed to do that for for a lot of it i mean eli roth is the same dude that made cabin fever you know where like there's a kid screaming about pancakes in the middle of this horror movie and so so it's 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 i don't think it is supposed to be a straight ahead terror tale um but as i rewatched it i've actually become way more invested in the quieter moments my my favorite uh portion of this movie is is after the women come into his house when it's raining and they're just sitting in the living room talking oh about uh various things i mean they talk about it's it's small talk you know about what it's what it's like being a flight attendant but then the women keep pulling the conversation back to sex and 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 making keanu reeves who plays evan uncomfortable and and he keeps switching seats yeah yeah sorry i i hate to interrupt did you say you're way more invested in that part of the movie now like you're into that part of the movie i just want to confirm that you said that yeah out loud for real yeah okay great (laughs) thank you (laughs) i feel like i'm being talked down to no you're not being talked down to i just wanted to I have thoughts about that part of the movie. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, it's 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 my favorite part of the movie. I think Keanu Reeves' performance is awesome. I think both women are the doing really really cool funny. work. Yeah. And I, I think I think the women are playing this part really well where they're trying to uh, be as like appealing as possible to to what they perceive is like a a 40-year-old dude who's stuck in his family and still has sexual desires but isn't getting them satisfied but also they're just like they're playing immature really well and um and they they said I just up I that, really love that dynamic. They set up that Keanu Reeves might be into that because he pulled his shoulder trying to impress a woman at an airport by picking up a lot of luggage. Yeah, which is like a very weird detail to just kind of toss in there but i guess it works yeah Um, yeah and then from that point on i mean i love the next morning when the script flips and they're just totally acting uh obnoxious and trying to put them off as much as possible with food in their mouths i just i think the performances throughout this thing are so so strong the entire time and um not strong in the way that like I'm I'm scared the entire time because I again I don't think this is a straight ahead horror movie. I think Keanu is um, 
I think he's over the top, but he's also, it's not in a way that takes me out of the movie. He's over the top in a way that I think, okay, there, there might be someone out there that would sound like this as they're screaming their head off. So I, I like that, I guess, um, Cabin Fever has shown me that I like when there's sort of an interesting mix of comedy and horror where you can't exactly tell what the intent is supposed to be. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 is the same way where it's just, I don't know if I'm supposed to be unsettled or taking it seriously or what. And we get more of that when Lewis shows up. I think he's hilarious and what happens to him. Lewis like, did not deserve it's freaky, that. man. But it's it's freaky because like I actually I do believe that these characters would do what they're doing and I and I believe that the the men who are getting got would say these things, but also it's like it's just so silly and I just I, I just absolutely love, 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 love the tone of this movie. Yeah, and I mean that's consistent with like other stuff you've said to me about Eli Roth's work in general. And we, we set up previously on, like, a different episode of the show that I am not familiar with, like, Eli Roth's work. This is, aside from Cabin Fever, probably the second Eli Roth movie I've seen that I'm aware of that he, like, directed and did. Um, so I want to acknowledge that your familiarity makes you maybe better equipped to talk about his movies than I am um, because you've got that deep kind of affection for it. And that understanding of it. Um, and yesterday, before we were getting ready, because I watched this yesterday, we were talking a bit about it because I just kept sending you episode 50 as a message over and over again. And um, the reason I was doing that was because I, I could tell that this was going to be a quintessential they made another one episode. Um, and I could tell that I was glad that it was going to fit a dynamic that we often have for the 50th episode because it's like a perfect thing to direct someone to and be like, this is what They Made Another One is. And um, I'm sorry to say that what They Made Another One is, is Liam spends seven minutes really passionately deconstructing something that he likes a lot. And then I see it for the first time and I have to go, yo, I'm sorry, but I fucking hated this. Well, that's that's a dynamic that developed uh, certainly within the 50 episodes. I think it used to be that it would just be fine. So I'm glad that you can you've now pushed yourself that if something can fucking suck, that's awesome. Yeah. And um, I didn't take that many notes. Like I said, uh, one thing that I did write down um, to your point just now is I do like the performances, but maybe I just don't like Eli Roth movies. <laughs> Um, Maybe, and, man. I mean, yeah, yeah that's I've, I've decided thing. after this that um, I've thought about it. I don't like Eli Roth movies, and I don't think there's anything I can do about that. I think that's just that's just how it goes sometimes. This is not going to be the one to sway me. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, this movie drove me fucking insane <laughs> Um, and not in a fun way. Like, I, just, I was just aggravated, like, the entire time. And I only cut in earlier because hearing you... And as someone who's seen it several times, I'm not surprised that on repeated viewings, you sort of... You're able to latch onto the quieter stuff because a lot of the stuff near the end gets a lot more over the top. So you can sort of look at it and be like, okay, here's what we're dealing with. And um, sort of digging into the conversational stuff more. 
Um, because it, while it establishes its tone early, that sequence of them just talking is like 20 minutes, tw- maybe a little more. Like, it's long. And um, holy fuck, does it ever feel it. The thing that I couldn't get over and the thing that was driving me nuts and the thing that drove me nuts the whole time is that I feel like Eli Roth, who also wrote this with a, with a couple other people, um, he... I know conscious, like it's conscious, but he, I feel like he doesn't know when to stop doing something and he just continues to do it over and over and over. And I don't know if it's in an effort to make sure people get it or that doing it that many times heightens it and that makes it funnier to him or what, but the, the, the content of that conversation where everything did turn back to like a sexual topic and the the like words they were using to get that across and just how many times it happened over such a long period of time i was my brain was like smoke was pouring out of my ears like i couldn't understand why it was going so long and it was beating that in so hard before it just got to the fucking point because it's very obvious that the the punchline of that sequence is they're going to end up having sex. You know that very early, but it spends so much fucking time setting it up and really slowly, like letting this conversation unfold. And I just, it just bothered me. And I, I found that as the movie goes on and things do get more extreme, I found that there was still this tendency to really, 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 really want to drive home some sort of moralizing point about something. It is there. Like, whether tonally it's self-aware or not isn't really the point because it is, I think, still trying to tell me something. And it really wants me to know what it is over and over again. And um, still don't know what the fuck... Eli Roth is trying to say. I have no idea. Um, so you're it, saying like he kept hammering it home and like on the nose over and over, but you don't actually know. And I what still it don't know what it he is. Was hammering? No idea. Um, is it that pedophiles are bad because they sure are? But um, the girls I don't were, think were lying. I know. I was just bad. making a like a, just one of the things it could be. Um, but and I think that. Because a lot of the more elevated stuff and a lot of the campier stuff comes after that the movie had just lost me early because I could like some of it's fun in how like insane it is, but also um, all of the sex stuff in this movie, uh, I hate, I hate extremely and a lot of it is really uncomfortable (laughs) and a lot of the very uncomfortable things go on too long and are done too many times and um, it's it uh, i could see the viewing experience being more fun like with people around but just w- trying to just watch it um drove me insane <laughs> wow okay well um i don't know what, where i should start uh okay i'll i'll go chronologically my thoughts as you spoke so that you think they hammered home going back to the sex topic in that initial conversation and it drove you crazy i would direct you to death game um the original Mm -hmm. film that this was based off of because i watched that um 
I'd never seen it before in all my love of this movie. Um, but this time around, I decided to go back and check it out. I watched it back to back with Knock Knock because I figured if we're talking about this movie that I've seen so many times, um, it's, it'd only be fair if this time I'm going to talk about it. I'm not just going to say I love it. I'm going to go a bit deeper and do so- actually really do something for the podcast, I think, to give me a bit of a some different talking points than I've had all these years in loving this movie. And so I watched the original one, and uh, it, it made it clear to me that a lot of what I like about Knock Knock is just the premise. I mean, I liked Death Game <laughs> because it's 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 really similar. Uh, it takes place in one location. It's these three characters. I think that's super cool. There's a character that shows up about two-thirds throughout the movie and gets got, and the tension just gets racked up. And so I like all that stuff. But I also found that it's a knock-knock to me is a really good remake, not because it's a good movie, which I think it is, but because it takes a premise that was already established, characters that were already established, because it is a pretty close remake of the general outline of Death Game. But then it... It goes, it goes deeper and stretches things out longer, and um, it makes it feel like another, another version of the same story. Not like Nightmare on Elm Street is, where it's a repeated telling over again, but it feels like it's the same story told by another storyteller that actually mm-hmm. um, has a different way of telling it. So, for example, the reason I'm bringing this up is that the 20-minute scene that we get in Knock Knock isn't in Death Game at all. They go in, um, these two women, and they start talking to this 40-year-old dude. It's his birthday, and he's alone uh, for the weekend. They talk to him about sex like for maybe like a minute or two. Like they, they just the conversation goes there and then the porno music starts right away. <laughs> and it is 70s porno music and they're just going. And I thought it was absolutely ridiculous uh, and not in the fun way that Knock Knock is because uh, Knock Knock gets ridiculous in those really big moments. But I think for the first half of it, it actually it does play it pretty damn straight. You know, you get Keanu being kind of goofy with his kids at the beginning. But that 20 minute sequence where they're in the living room, I think that is um, I think that's really how it would go if these two women were trying to seduce this man who does love his family but also um it just feels uh, like they're isn't... trying to convince you that keanu reeves is a good guy because he took so long to wait and it's just like because we know where it's going because the rest of the movie has to happen it just takes so fucking long <laughs> like and uh. it's for me it's just not it's not illustrating anything that i don't understand that the movie's trying to illustrate for me but like the way in which it's so heavy hand like heavy handed with um they're like illusions or constantly bringing up the sex and his like initial discomfort it's just like i wanted the i wanted them to get the show on the road a little bit and it the movie was just refusing but i can God. see i can see why similarly doing it too quickly also doesn't work for a different reason yeah, and, and I don't get that Keanu is uh, sympathetic because he waited so long and that it makes oh, him yeah, a that, victim I don't for think the that's rest true. of the horror movie. I just think that's what that might be, like, prolonging that interaction might 
try to do that at least initially like to be like oh like because some people are going to see that and think that because some people are dumb but like um (laughs) i don't know why else it would be so long you know like i can't think of another reason why they would make it take such a long time i think but just because it would take about that long i mean 45 minutes for the uber to get there i think that's about the amount of time it might take for these women to grind him down you know yeah like police interrogations dude where they get someone to confess to a murder it takes like 45 minutes i bet that it would take about the same amount of time to seduce this dude who like doesn't quite want to have sex but also like does want to have sex it feels really realistic to me here's an important thing though Police interrogations in movies don't take 45 minutes because that's not what a movie is. You know what I mean? Like, you get the parts of the interrogation that are important to the narrative. You don't get the whole fucking interrogation. And this felt like the equivalent of getting the whole interrogation. Except it's really heavy-handed. I just think, I think it's fascinating. I would love to see a movie where it's just the entire interrogation. I agree. I mean, 45 minutes, just the whole time. That would be sick. that's true. Not in the hands of Eli Roth, it wouldn't. Absolutely the fuck not. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Hard disagree, man. So I thought, I thought in the original movie where it just cuts right to him having sex, I kind of thought the movie was like, was ruined because now it's just going to be the women tormenting him for the rest of the movie and uh, we're supposed to feel bad for him and we don't and yeah it was um, the sev- it was like the late and, 70s and, that guy was going to be more sympathetic for sure yeah and th- and that's really all it is whereas i think this movie by taking that time um one i think it just it's i think it really creates some nice pacing because then the second half of the movie is just going hard with people dying and they're doing different things to Keanu to torture him. And I think it really kind of like the last uh, half hour of cabin fever, it really goes off the rails. Um, But I also think that it creates this really interesting dynamic where throughout the rest of the movie, I'm not quite sure anymore who the protagonist or the antagonist is. I think there's a way to read it either way. And I've heard people on either side of that stance where they think that Keanu did nothing wrong and they were at him for 20 minutes and what was he supposed to do? And I've, of course, heard people who said that uh, he gets what's coming to him. Anybody you know? and so who I, actually I, I don't says, think... what was he supposed to do, is fucking insane. I just want to get that out there right now. Uh, the and, thing he was supposed to do and, is not have sex with anybody. Like... <laughs> And so I think that makes for a really cool movie that we have uh, Keanu Reeves as our anti-protagonist, you know, a dude we're supposed to be following, but as he's being tortured, it's like, well, I mean, you kind of fucked up, but do you deserve to have your entire life ruined and your family hate you? I don't know. I think it's cool to think about. Um, We live in this cancel culture. We're not getting into that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, cancel culture is not real because if people actually got canceled they wouldn't still be rich famous and influential but whatever that's a conversation for maybe another day (laughs) but so um i guess they just move on to like the next chunk of the movie i don't know i don't know how much you want to talk about the morning after i don't especially um because i feel like it's just it's it provides like a transition into the second half more than anything so unless you have something you really want to hit on about that morning i kind of want to move on 
Well, I just I think the performances of the two women are fantastic. I think it's it's so clear that they uh, that they're the same people they were the night before, but that the night before they were they were playing a game. And so I think it's it's interesting to see them at the complete other side of the spectrum now and trying to turn Keanu off and make him feel as terrible as possible. And I just I think the performances are great. You know, the way they're talking with their mouths full and they're just like invading as much of the space as possible i I think it's really cool yeah i do think there's parts especially where like everybody like the three of them are really great um keanu was definitely like and i mean this lovingly like teetering into nick cage territory with some of it just to sort of match that tone uh which i think is great and fun and especially like when you think about like some of the shit that he's screaming later in the movie it's just like so fucking ridiculous um and i do think the the um Anna de Armas and Lorenzo Lorenzo Izzo both pivot to wild extremes all the time really well um and there's something that's just that just works in in their performances that I do think is strong I don't have a problem with the performances in the movie really at all um but so in the second half when we get into the torture stuff um this movie starts to do um like there's a point where Keanu Reeves' character is like tied to a bed and Genesis is sitting at like a makeup desk and just like putting on makeup endlessly and wrote it was not a dream and lipstick on the mirror and then Belle comes in dressed as a schoolgirl in Keanu Reeves' daughter's panties and then they uh she's just like coming on to him with some daddy stuff really hard and it sucks i nearly stopped i nearly turned the movie off during that scene i want to make that unequivocally clear Um, why is that because i i just i i just didn't want to watch it anymore it was just gross and i didn't like it um and i feel like the like i can't fucking figure out why the movie is doing it and I feel like the movie, again, is doing it too heavy-handed for too long, too much. And I just couldn't... I just couldn't fucking deal with it. Um, because I feel like I don't know what I'm supposed to be getting out of it as a viewer. Like, I just... I just don't. I'm getting nothing. Because it's it's not making me really any more or less sympathetic for anybody here um it's fucked up it's a fucked up thing to do both to somebody and just sort of generally it's kind of it's kind of a fetish that i find bad um and then it's like oh yeah here i was wearing your daughter's panties i'm gonna shove them in your mouth and then we're gonna film us having coerced you if i'm remembering correctly into having sex with us again while I'm really leaning into this thing. And uh, it just sucked, and I just really hated it. And I know that, like, sometimes when we get to a point where we're talking about a movie that I really didn't like, I do just kind of say that. And I I have moments where I feel like that's not fair, like, to the movie. But with the way that this movie handled that particular kind of, like, sexuality and, like, sexual material, I I have no other way to put it. I think the movie does a bad job. I think it doesn't know what it's doing with that. It's too heavy handed for too long. It was gross and I didn't like it. And that's pretty much it. 
Um, and that's another scene that I felt like goes on for a really long fucking time. <laughs> Got you. Um, well, my take on that scene is that uh, it's it's absolutely horrifying. I mean, I think that's the scariest. Is the movie definitely the most unsettling? Is the movie scene in the building movie. up like you know? Because tonally, we're talking about how it's like kind of rocking between extremes. Is it actually building like? meaningful like tension and scares for you or are you just saying this and like in the abstract that is a scary thing to have happen or is the movie effectively cultivating that feeling in you as you watch it yes no i am i am actively tense and that's absorbed watching this movie okay good to know yeah um (laughs) yeah like the first time i watched this movie i think the reason i came back to it over and over and showed it to friends is because of Keanu's large outbursts um but also I just it 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 really stuck with me in that um it's such a simple story that that offers so many different glimpses into these characters lives because when you just get people talking for like about an hour and a half I mean I think there's a lot of uh, possibility to learn stuff about them and I can't do all of that just in an hour and a half and so I have to watch the movie again Um, and no when it comes to like that first 20 minutes um, I'm actively tense when it comes to this scene I am really tense and so there's 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 scenes in this movie that really do unsettle me and there are scenes and moments in this movie where I'm like guffawing and uh kind of like jumping up in my seat because it's so it's so wild and out there but really i think the hook of this movie is the the premise of it and the way that tension does build to me and i think a lot of that comes from the the one night setting and the one house setting i mean i think that's a great way to get people um if, I, if i'm gonna be pedantic movie, it's a two night it, setting yeah, yeah, which is actually I think way cooler because like I said, once he drops them off that first time, I kind of I take a breath and I'm like, okay, well, that's it. I mean, he got away from them. What the heck's going to happen now? And so when they come back, I mean, it 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 I think the horror comes back too. I don't I'm not just I want to underscore that it's not a movie I like because I'm laughing at it the entire time. I re- I don't think this is a bad movie at all. It's just uh there's a whole hodgepodge of things to feel in this movie and I get something new out of it every time. And I think that's why I keep coming back to it. And so this scene with bell on top of Keanu, I mean, uh, I think it's, it's, uh, I think it's nice that we have some insight into at least what one, where one of these women might be coming from, you know, it feels like a, what does uh, that mean? Um, well, I think that this is like a for Bell's character. I think it is an abuse story where this woman was abused as a child and is now being manipulated by Genesis in uh, into doing this thing with her. And um, and I really do feel that in that sequence. I I feel awful for for Bell, and um, it really it really does affect me. Yeah. Um what in the film makes you think that that was not her choice that doing that to Keanu mm-hmm. wasn't her choice mm-hmm. well i don't i don't think that genesis is 
getting her to do things against her will. But I okay. think that, uh, but but I think that if Belle was abused as a kid, then I mean, is this what she's doing? Her choice now? Like, sure, sure, but, but that I think that she's coming from. I feel yeah. like the movie does yeah. so little to. And I'm not, I don't mean to say this in a way that sounds disparaging to you because I like that you've seen the movie a lot of times and have thought about it in a lot of like ways, but the movie's not doing anything to make you think anything more about that scene as far as I'm concerned beyond it being something that is a punishment for the Keanu character and it's really provocative and it's not provocative, it's just gross. And as a viewer who isn't getting anything out of it on that narrative or thematic level at that point anymore... Um, I feel like it's just using something that's shocking to shock me. And get, I guess you got me, Eli Roth, but like, I don't want to watch this. Got you. Like, you're not doing anything that's pushing the movie anywhere, as far as I'm concerned. And you're using really delicate material in a way that feels really, I don't know, maybe ill-informed is a little bit stronger term or maybe not the right term or not the term that i want but like it's just something about it just fucking irks me and feels like it's just wrong <laughs> um and i don't mean like the literal content of the scene because that's kind of a given but i mean like the way it's being used in the movie <laughs> specifically um it was funny after i i watched this i did um go on letterboxd and i was looking at some stuff and there's a scene there's a, a review on letterboxd that was um somebody said that once they hit that scene they read the wikipedia plot and checked out um i can understand doing that because i don't know what that movie is i don't know what that scene is doing for the movie and it's the thing that felt the most egregious for me in terms of like the movie just having no idea what it's doing and then I what's what's after that? What do they tie him up after that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then that the game, like the game show. Um, I don't even know what the fuck to do with that. I just, <laughs> I I was not particularly interested in that as as like a as a framing device. Oh yeah, in 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 Death Game, the original, it's a fake court of law instead of a game show. Okay, I feel like I I kind of like that more. I feel like the game show is just trying to make it sillier again, or tonally anyway. Um, and yeah, so that's another part too where they're really leaning into the um the pedophilia angle that the movie sets up. Which just to be clear, at the end of the movie, they revealed that that was a bit. Um, and it was just to like kind of freak them out. Um, and they are of age characters. Um, but then for me, especially after that, it's like, okay, so what are you trying to tell me? Cause as a viewer, I already think pedophilia is wrong. Um, so what are we doing? We're just seeing Keanu Reeves have a bad time because for me, it's not cultivating that like genuine tension ever. So for me, I'm just like, okay, and like, what's your fucking point, Eli? What are we doing? <laughs> um, and I find that that combined with a tone that sometimes really heightens things or like things get hit on over and over again or um, 
got like a heightened obnoxiousness to it from the girl sometimes i'm just like man you know what i'm cool i'm cool with this <laughs> by cool i mean done with i don't mean like a two thumbs up kind of cool well hey was there anything in the movie you liked besides the performances any like scene or moment that that you had fun with or that you had fun getting scared by or something um I think early on when I realized the kind of performance Keanu Reeves was about to give, I was kind of having fun with that because I was like, oh, he's really just kind of letting loose in this one. Um, but to be completely honest, like, not really. Um, and then there's some stuff in it um, that, I don't know, honestly, and, you know, <laughs> I, 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 I hate when this happens. Um not because we don't have good discussions about movies. I think when we end on really dramatically like the opposite side that we do have a good discussion about the movies, but it's like, I just wish I had more man. And I wish I had more, especially because I know that you really like the movie. And I feel like maybe I'd be able to better set up conversation if I was like more into it. But like my honest answer is like, no, <laughs> to be honest, if I were just watch, had I just put this on just to watch it of my own volition do I think I would have finished it? Probably not. Well, that's interesting to know, and I'm glad we're talking about it because uh, you're the first person that I've ever either shown this movie to or recommend to who wasn't into it. I actually think that as disturbing as some of this content is, I think it's like a pretty accessible movie um, because of how far it tends to go because of... Uh, um, the wild swings it takes in tone. I think that it's a, it's a movie that is kind of just like a Friday night movie that you can put on and, and get something out of because there's always something happening. I mean, it kind of feels like there's something for everyone here when it comes to this movie. And maybe I just I hang out with fucked up friends and I have fucked up tastes, but that's honestly what it feels like to me. Um, yeah, I, I'm not, again, like, you know, people know that we're friends. We've done the show a long time. I'm not laughing at you, obviously, but it's like, I'm just completely on the opposite end of the spectrum. Like, this is not an accessible movie. And I find it's not an accessible movie because it's so fucking annoying. And that I feel like a lot of the wild swings might turn an audience off of the movie and not like endear it to the movie. And um, I just, I can't picture this just being like, hey, hey gang, it's Friday night knock knock time baby like i just can't oh. i can't fucking well, fathom i'm so doing glad <laughs> i'm so glad i didn't do this we would have had an awful night i would have put this on with like the bros and then everyone like i imagine like would be having a good time and then Corey would be sitting <laughs> at the side like i am uncomfortable i don't like this yeah well I'm and that's what's awful. like there are like and there's stuff that's fun and there's stuff that's funny and i get that it's there but it's that combined with the movie not feeling like it knows what it's trying to do in terms of making a point. And I don't want to act like every movie has to make this big dramatic point, but like it's one of those things where I can't tell what the fuck Eli Roth is doing. I just can't. And then everything else is really heavy handed and occasionally very misguided. I'm using misguided for like the schoolgirl daughter role play rape scene. Uh, because that's a fucking mouthful, huh? Um, and I feel like it's in like when it does things like that, I'm like, oh, this movie has no idea what it's doing at all. 
and then in other sequences it's like okay the movie knows what it's doing like it knows how to construct itself but i don't know what it's trying to make me feel or do um in another letterbox review actually there was someone who had pointed out where it was like you know if they're trying to get back at keanu reeves why did they go destroy all of his wife's shit (laughs) and i was like that's an interesting point um and i get that it's probably just like i don't know make the fallout worse for him but it sort of does muddle the point even further because if this is is this like i don't know what the i don't know what genesis and bell are doing i just can't i don't understand it like i understand that they're making a Maybe point they're... about like all men just like end up having sex and it's like they're so easily swayed and just having sex and they don't give a shit about anything but sex and all men are terrible and i understand that like that's the point but like what's th- and like and what what now what what do you want me to do with that like well i mean um <laughs> it's it it would be very uh it's <laughs> they're disregarding the wife entirely in, in what i'm about to say but maybe maybe the point is that they're showing keanu that he actually doesn't deserve any of the things he has that's not who he is i mean he's the dude that lifts luggage to impress women and he's the dude that it only takes 20 minutes before he's going to sleep with to uh women who show up at his house and so they're going to take all these things that he has he has surrounded himself with to make him think that he's a a family man you know his house is littered with pieces of art that her are his wife are his wife's they're not his you know the 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 family is going out for a trip and leaving him to work and he's all he has in the house is like his dj equipment this thing that he latched onto from the past when when his uh when his life was more exciting before he turned like 29 and and met his wife and so maybe they're taking that all away from him and they're saying that hey uh you know this stuff this this isn't this isn't your life and and you gotta so they're gonna take away this life and his wife and his kids from him and and they're gonna they're gonna leave her her for him because you know he's not willing to do it himself right i like that take um that does a bit to contextualize the fact that they were also spying on him, which I guess means that they do this in a targeted way um, and are only doing it to certain people who they've deemed like unworthy of whatever it is, their family lives or whatever. But I don't know, man, I feel like the movie's not doing a good job of illustrating that. (laughs) Um, And so if they're doing that, then and this is like a thing they do. They've clearly done it before. Is it just like vigilante justice then? Like to what end are they doing that? And if if they're just deciding that based on those things you listed, like they don't think he should have like the family life that he has, are they not reacting a little strongly? And I want to put a caveat on that. I don't mean are they reacting too strongly when he has sex with them because after that point keanu reeves becomes irredeemable just to be clear but in formulating this plan like what why 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 are they doing why (laughs) like it doesn't i don't understand (laughs) like well i mean i think it's to what what we just discussed i mean i think it's a test for the keanu character yeah i know but like fucking okay and it's like okay and then it is and he fails and it's like okay and now we're here but it's like 
what am I supposed to, like, I don't understand what I'm supposed to do with this. Like, I just don't, I don't understand it. <laughs> uh, because it's really, well, it's, it's really dramatic and severe and gross about it on the one hand, but then it's like, okay, and, <laughs> and what would you like me to do with this cinematic experience now that I've had it? What am I taking away from this? And I have no fucking idea <laughs> what I'm supposed to be taking away from this. Well, I mean, I guess the hope was that you're going to take away what I've taken away from it. So it's just Eli Roth, you just uh, can't win them all. Yeah, me and Eli don't get down, man. Yeah, um, I mean, I like I think of the movie uh, allegorically. Like, I'm not, I'm not thinking about what these women are doing, like how they haven't gotten caught yet or sure. like why. Yeah, and I don't mean to be uh, semantic like how exactly about it. They're but... going from man to man, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And and I I get that that's what it is. Like I'm not taking it literally, but even at an allegorical level, I'm like, okay, and or maybe that this kind of allegory would be better handled in the hands of a different filmmaker. Cause I don't like I don't know. I, I can't I don't I don't I'm I can tell I've hit a point where I'm not articulating this very well so I'm gonna stop trying I'm getting bogged down too much on certain things but I guess my wider point is just I found the movie heavy-handed with an argument it doesn't know what's like it doesn't understand on its own like the movie's not clear on the argument it's trying to make but whatever it is it wants you to fucking get it and um that juxtaposed with both a lot of the repetition being frustrating and a lot of the sort of provocative grossness being frustrating i was just not having a good time so i just i don't understand how a movie can be heavy-handed and also you don't understand me neither the dude point. like me neither i don't get it because it's being really heavy-handed in the sense of like both like what what the women are trying to do at the beginning where it's like, Oh man, this conversation while wow, they're really landing on this sex stuff. I know they're going to have sex. I get it. I understand. And then later they're really nailing in like, man, Keanu Reeves, terrible fucking guy. Can't believe he did this. Look at all the shit that he's going to go through now. Rough, but it's spending so much time and energy just really driving it home. But then when it coalesces and I'm like, to what end? And I just, I have nothing. And I get that it's a paradoxical nonsense thing to say it's heavy-handed and i don't understand what its point is but like i feel like that's a pretty severe indictment of your movie if it feels heavy-handed and i still can't figure out what the fuck you're trying to tell me i guess man yeah i can't really wrap my head around that either i think uh i love the way that i can't quite figure out this movie that i don't know uh i don't know exactly whose side to be on and uh um that like i'm not sure I'm not sure who the who the good guy and the bad guy is, and I'm not quite sure who I should feel sorry or victorious yeah. for at the end. And, I, I really love that because that's what's kept me coming back to it yeah. and thinking about well, it. And honestly, I'm not I'm not worried about like who's the good guy and who's the bad guy, but I just find it frustrating that for me as a viewer, like it felt like it was beating me over the head, but when it finished, I didn't know why. That that's just frustrating. Um, and then along the way, there's just stuff about it that I just don't like. Um, so, you know, like you've said, you've shown it to a lot of people who are just like way into it and that's cool. So like, I get that maybe it's just me, but both with the way that it's handling, like 
some of the worst stuff like the the rape scene i'm going to keep going back to because i can't overemphasize the degree to which i was like maybe i'm just done with this but um yeah maybe that is like my ultimate indictment of it is like i don't even know what to do with it i wish i was having an easier time sort of articulating this but i guess it's sort of just illustrating how i felt where it's like um i think this is something i've talked about before uh where sometimes we watch a movie that I just, that really just doesn't sit with me great. And I have to like pause it periodically just to like take a breath that I, I, that was, this was one of those where every once in a while, like if a scene was just like bothering me or like just taking fucking forever or just like whatever, I would just pause it. And I just feel like, okay. And that's where the episode 50 bit came from was like, I would send that over. I was like episode 50, huh? I don't know, man. I, I like a lot of what you have to say about it. And I can appreciate that despite how I feel you're able to get something out of it that's dramatically different from that. And I like that I can tell that you've put a lot of time and thought into it and have like interesting takes. I really appreciate that. I wish I felt like I were bringing more to the table and I hope you feel like I'm bringing something to the table here by reacting this way. But yeah, like never again for me. Like I I don't, I personally don't think people should bother watching it and I'm just like, I'm good. I'm (laughs) Gotcha. Well, this is this will uh, this is illuminating for me. I kind of know what movies to to suggest and maybe what not to well, suggest. I think this is a good bar now that we've got this and like Evil Dead and stuff out of there. I don't want to. I don't want to keep you from recommending things because you think I'm not gonna like it. Like that seems counterintuitive. Do I think maybe we can take an Eli Roth break? Sure, um, but but um. I, I, I don't think that I don't I wouldn't put too huge a stock in it. Like I don't want you to not recommend something because you just because you think I'm not gonna like it. I mean there are just there are so many movies out there. And so if I if I forego one recommendation, it's for a different one. You know, I think I gotta keep my audience in mind and you had such a bad experience with this that I wouldn't wanna give another movie to you where you have the same experience, you know? To be fair, I've kind of had this experience already. <laughs> I feel like this is not the first time I've said something like this on this show. Yeah, but like now that it's happened a good amount of times, I think I've finally gotten it and I know I know where you're coming from. Honestly, the thing I want to figure out is what's the movie that we're going to watch that does this to you? Does that movie even exist? Is it oh, possible man. to make you feel this way? I don't know. And if it does, I think we'd probably both have to be there. Like we'd both be feeling the same thing. I can't imagine it would happen and and you'd be like over the moon about it i don't, I don't know what if does that, that exists, say about me i just think what that... does that say about me as being the guy who just hates stuff i don't want to be the guy <laughs> that just hates stuff i don't know man you to figure that out you might have to put in like more thought than uh than you've put into knock knock you know what i mean like you might have to just sit and dwell with it instead of just quickly moving on you well know? hey i don't want it to come across like I didn't put thought into Knock Knock, I think that's unfair. I just think I knew very quickly how I felt about it. (laughs) And I think that when your reaction is that severe, you don't owe a work of art or a movie or anything more time than that if you feel in your bones that you've hit your limit. You know what I mean? But I don't want that to be equated with I'm not thinking about the movies. And I know that's not yeah. strictly speaking what you meant, but I just want to make that clear. Yeah, no, no, totally. I mean, I think a lot of the times all you owe the movie is the time that 
the movie exists for in front of you and that's it and and whether or not you decide to think about it more or watch yeah. it again or something is like mm-hmm. is totally a bonus and is is absolutely more than any filmmaker could ask for but you know at the same time it is it's funny that there's movies out there where uh I wouldn't appreciate them had I not given the filmmaker that much you know movies that are challenging that if yeah. i if i hadn't watched again or thought more about then i i would go around saying something very very differently about mm-hmm. them you know do and you have any of those well really quick that's what i was gonna say that's not to say that like confrontational work shouldn't be engaged with or controversial work or like difficult work um i think a lot of incredibly great films are that and you have to sit with it and you have to think about why it makes you uncomfortable or what it is about it that you found difficult and there's something really rewarding to be found in that process i don't think knock knock is one of those movies um for me um i'm trying to think now of an example and i find that examples are always hard to come up with when we're put in the spot um i imagine in film school maybe there was some film school film classes in school more accurately that there was probably some stuff that I felt like once I really had to sit with it that I probably gained a greater appreciation for than I did when I watched it. Um, well, hey, let's let's go back quick to ones that I know you've said you've hated and see how you feel about them with distance. Rashomon and Shivers. How do you feel about those? I haven't revisited Shivers, so I can't really speak to that. Uh, Rashomon was underwhelming, I think, largely because people built it up a lot to us. So then when we watched it, we were just kind of like, eh. Um, I think I've seen a bit more Kurosawa now, and I think that I have, upon like a revisiting, I have a lot more appreciation for just what the movie's doing and how, not just how radical it was at the time, but how well it's doing it. Like, it's just so, I don't find it boring now. I feel like maybe the first time we saw it, I was a bit underwhelmed because some of us found it kind of boring. Um... I'm more into it now for sure. And I'm also just more into Kurosawa in general now. So I would definitely say that time and thought has given me more with that movie. A hundred percent. There you go. Yeah. Well, just call and, it Eli Roth Kurosawa. Well, and that's what I was about to say where it's like, and that's great. This movie is not Rashomon. You know what I mean? Like that's where I'm coming down on is like, that's totally true. And it's really important to think about, cinema that way in general and not treat it as a very disposable thing. And I think streaming especially encourages people to think about it in a disposable way. I like to hope that our podcast encourages people and ourselves to not do that and to engage. Um, And I'd be curious too, to revisit stuff that we have watched in the podcast, just to see how we feel about that after a significant amount of time has passed. Um, Cause the first time I saw Ratchman would have been like, well, like six years ago or five years ago or something. So, you know, it's been a bit. Um, well, hey, everybody tune in to episode 150 where we revisit Knock Knock. I guess we have to now, right? I guess I've set it up that we have to do that. <laughs> we got um, to do it, man. And I can't think of Maybe anything. Maybe by then we'll have that sequel. Yeah, I can't think of anything I want to do less than that. But, um, you know, I think this is a good moment, not to sound too much like a lecturer, but like, yeah, in- I think it's important to engage with stuff that is controversial, uncomfortable, provocative, difficult, and understand why it makes you feel that way. But at the same time, I want to make unequivocally clear as well that movies that are doing that just for the sake of being provocative or movies that make you uncomfortable in a fundamental way that 
cause a hurdle to be placed between you and engaging with it because the way it's dealing with certain subject matter is um, bad or triggering or something as a viewer don't you don't owe anything that but in general terms re-engaging and th thinking deeply especially when you maybe have an, av a, an averse reaction initially i think is important but you don't owe anything that just because it has those connotations to it which i think is something we both agree with yeah i agree with you yeah um so i guess with that said i don't want to watch knock knock again you might. I very well might be watching it again in the next day or two. Um, My rental is for 48 hours. <laughs> oh, wait. I thought of one thing that made me laugh. For real. I just thought of it. Oh, I have so many guesses as to what it guess, is. Guess. Go like, ahead and yeah. guess. Yeah, the last thing we'll do is you need to guess the thing that made me laugh for real. All right. Is it... I'm from Oakland, Hope? I don't even remember that. What? <laughs> It's what Lewis says to them uh, when they when they try to pull their seduction tactic on him. Oh, I, I know two ghetto assholes when I see him. I don't even remember that line. Well, what is it? Um, it's when he's trying to FaceTime his wife, and they're up at the window, and they just like start like shoving their ass into the window. Wow, I never would have guessed, dude. <laughs> That's. I am honestly, I'm amazed that it's that a really got childish you, but like, laugh, but other it made similar me laugh. jokes didn't get you because there's like other stuff in there that's along those lines, you know? Yeah, I know, but that's the one that hit me, I guess. Well, shit, I guess the the clock struck whatever number it was that Corey had his laugh for the day. I don't know. <laughs> My brain just decided it was time to laugh. Yeah. Um, yeah, cool. Uh, so that's knock knock, I think. Um, you can rent it for 99 cents on Amazon Prime. I don't know. Corey doesn't even think it's worth that. It's funny because right before we watched it, I was like, oh, wow, 99 cents. That's awesome. And then I was like, oh, well, uh, too much. Maybe I could have spent 99 cents on something different. But, you know, your mileage may vary. Maybe give it a try Um, and see, uh, see what you think. <laughs> I know Liam would love it if you did that, so. Yeah, especially if we hung out. We could watch it and hang out together. It's a fun movie to hang out with people. Yeah. Are you saying that to the to the abstract listener or to me? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the listener. I mean, <laughs> if it takes hanging out with you for you to watch this again, I'll gladly do it if you're offering. Yeah, I just realized something. Uh, we have had a Jeff Betancourt movie on this show, right? That name rings a bell to you? No, it doesn't ring a Damn, bell. Damn, it rings but... a bell to me. And I have... um. I have, uh, I have fucking, I am, uh, letterboxed open and he worked on a different movie called knock knock. Well, now you got to figure oh, out yeah. if you've done his, God, this has show. happened. This has happened several fucking times. I don't know how this keeps happening. It just keeps happening. He fucking edited black Christmas 2019. <laughs> oh, okay. That guy. And, uh, and he directed the other knock knock. He, did yes interesting um, well maybe we have to do that movie so that one we get more jeff bedencourt on the podcast because we're nothing if not loyal and two <laughs> we can extend the premise of our podcast or just Movies with the, same, with the title. same title they made another movie called knock knock i will say there is a the popular reviews on letterboxd include knock knock who's there 
Knock Knock the Film. Knock Knock the Film, the Eli Roth one? No, another one. Good, come on in then. 14 minutes later. Okay, never mind, you can let yourself out now. Oh, man. Um, And then Brendan gave it two stars and said, Embarrassing, male film writers stop making women mean to each other for no reason challenge. (laughs) Hey, I'm interested. 14 minutes. I think that's that loses you quicker than this movie did. Oh, yeah. Uh, This movie, had I been watching it of my own volition, I probably would have been out by about 25 minutes, I think. Yeah, so, I mean, this one, it must get to the sex conversation way quicker. <laughs> it must. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's episode 50, and I think it's it's a good one. I think it encapsulates this show in a lot of good ways. I think it's a good conversation, and I hope you enjoyed listening to it, dear listener. And I hope you've enjoyed the previous 50, and we're going to do this again soon, but we... Uh, we hope you always enjoy it because we're enjoying doing it and uh, coming up on a year is wild. Um, but with that out of the way, thank you once again for listening to another episode of They Made Another One. You can find us all over the internet on Twitter at They Made Another, all one word, and on Letterboxd at TMAO, which is finally updated. I said I was going to do it and I fucking did it. Nobody was complaining about episode it not being 50. updated, but it's finally updated. Um You can find episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, and everything else as they made another one. You can reach us via email at tmaopodcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, and what Nick Cage movie you would like to see remade with Keanu Reeves doing a performance like this. Our fantastic thumbnail art is done by Jade Dickinson, who you can find on Instagram at Jade Sketches. You should give her money and she will make you good art. Liam, where can people find you? You guys can find my film writing alter ego, Graham the Haunted Marshmallow, on Twitter and Letterboxd. My username is Graham the Mallo. And you can catch me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mr. Corey Price. And you can catch us here next week for more. They made another one? <laughs>